you'll turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, we'll keep working our way through as I have opportunities to preach. I want you to think back to last Sunday. Do you remember what Pastor Scott preached on? I'm not going to quiz you, I'm not going to make you answer out loud, so don't like get really nervous and start sweating and all that. But think back to all the people that you talked with last Sunday. Do you remember everyone you spoke with? Do you remember all the conversations you had, what you talked about? Think back to a month ago. Do you remember what Pastor Scott preached on then? Do you remember all the people that you spoke with? Do you remember all the conversations you had? Think back to three months ago. What did Pastor Scott preach on? Starting to get fuzzier and fuzzier, isn't it? Think back to all the people that you talked with three months ago. Trick question. Nobody was here three months ago because of COVID. Got you. See, sometimes our memories start to fade. The farther and farther back we go, we start to say, I think I might remember that he used the Bible. I think that's right. And beyond that, I'm not quite sure. But our memories and our experiences, as we think back on them, just get kind of fuzzy or they might get distorted over time. Remember when we were kids and our parents would punish us? When we were kids, we were like, this is the worst thing ever. I can't believe that they would do this to me. It wasn't what, that bad what I did. But then as we're older and become adults, you look back on that and you're thankful, right? You're like, I'm so glad my parents didn't let me get away with those things. It really taught me discipline. It taught me what was right and what was wrong. So even the same experience that you had, you have different perspectives on it over time. Even as you're sitting here today, there are some of you who are sitting here and you don't have a wonderful blessing from God, God-given little beautiful distractions sitting by your side. Some of you don't have that. Some of you do. I remember when our kids were super little and they first started sitting in the service and it was probably the first few months where... It was all my attention was focused on, and Marcy's as well, is Psh, be quiet, focus, pay attention. Do you see that point up there? You can write that down. And do you hear what he said? You can draw, maybe draw a picture of what, trying to get that wonderful little blessing, wonderful little distraction, just to maybe learn to sit and listen and to focus. And it was tough. And there were many times where I'd come out of the service, and somebody would come up to me, and they'd say, oh, wasn't that just a great message? Oh, that was so challenging. It was probably the best sermon that I've ever heard in my life. And I would look at them and I would think, great. I'm glad you were able to hear it. (laughs) I will have to get back on YouTube later and watch it because I don't think I heard a word of what was just said. I see some parents kind of nodding their head. They're like, yep. And that, that might be today for you, and that's okay. That's all right. You're doing a great job training your children to sit and listen, and that's a wonderful thing that you have um, to be able to do this morning. So I'm thankful for that. But some of you, you don't have that distraction. You have the ability to sit and listen. And so even today and during this time together, our experiences are going to be different with what we hear and even how we hear it. Peter here is going to be sharing an experience that he had, but he's wanting to make sure that it's not just relying upon his experience. While what he had, what he went through, was real and it truly happened, he's going to point us back to the word. 
saying that the word is more important even than my experience. Warren Wiersbe in his commentary says this about our experiences. He says, our experiences fade, but the word of God remains. Our experiences are subjective, but the word of God is objective. Experiences may be interpreted in different ways by different participants, but the word of God gives one clear message. What we remember about our experiences can be unconsciously distorted, but the word of God remains the same and abides forever. So I pray that as we think through this passage together, whether you have that little blessing of a distraction next to you or not, I pray that God will help you to see the glory of Jesus in his word. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for the word. That is, it is so sure. It is so true. And we know that it has been spoken uh, by you to us. Help us to rely upon it. Help us to trust in it. And help us, even as we have different experiences in our life, to be guided and pointed back to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, let's begin reading in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In verses 16 to 18, we have Peter looking at how God has spoken to them, not just in his word, but for them, it was on this Mount of Transfiguration. And this word transfigure is simply a word that means metamorphosis, like a caterpillar would metamorphosize. That's the word, right? Metamorphosis into a beautiful butterfly. This is that same word, transform, transfigure. And so the question becomes, on this Mount of Transfiguration, with Peter, James, and John there, how did Jesus transfigure? How did he change? What became different about him? This is what he's speaking to in verses 16 through 18 on that mount. Well, in Mark chapter 9, it says that his clothes, Jesus' clothes, became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. In Matthew 17, he records and says that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. In Luke chapter 9, it says, and the appearance of his face was altered. And his clothing became dazzling white. In Luke's account of this, we see Peter, James, and John, and Jesus going up to this mount. And Jesus was going off to pray as he normally does. Jesus is often praying. And so the disciples are probably just thinking, it's a night just like any other night. I'm tired. So they start to doze off and fall asleep. Can you imagine? It's just the four of you on this mount. And you fall asleep. 
and then you suddenly wake up and Jesus isn't the normal Jesus anymore. His clothes are shining. His face is shining like the sun. And he is in this glorified state where they're seeing Jesus for really, truly who he is. The veil has come off to a degree where they are able to look upon Jesus and see him, this majesticness about him. The glory of Jesus, just this radiant splendor of Jesus. So waking up to that, but not only that, is Moses and Elijah are there. These are like the guys. Moses is the one who wrote the law, who the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, that they would know so well and almost have memorized because Moses was this amazing guy. And there he is, talking with Jesus. And Elijah, too. Remember what people were calling Jesus when he was doing all these miracles and teachings and everything? They're saying, this must be Elijah. Elijah, the, one of the main prophets in the Old Testament. So here we have Jesus, shining, bright, dazzling clothes. And we have Moses representing the Old Testament law. And Elijah representing the Old Testament prophets. And Peter says, let's pitch some tents. Let's go. Let's set up shop because the kingdom of God is clearly a hand. I mean, Jesus has been talking about this kingdom of God that's coming. We see Jesus in this glory like we've never seen him before. Moses and Elijah are here. Clearly, it's time. So I don't fault Peter at all for wanting to set up some tents so that they could just start this kingdom of God right then. But the problem was, Peter was asleep. (laughs) He didn't catch the first part of the conversation that Jesus was having with Moses and Elijah. They were talking about Jesus' soon departure. They were saying, Jesus, you're about to head to the cross to die for them, to die for the people. So he missed that section. (laughs) So that just goes to show you, you shouldn't fall asleep during the sermon because you might miss something very, very important. Okay, that's a little side note. But he knew that Jesus was the one. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah because this wonderful term that he uses here in this text, he says there was a voice that came from the cloud. And he calls him in the text of 2 Peter, he says, the majestic glory. What a wonderful name to give to God. (laughs) The majestic glory. Such a rich and beautiful name that said in the passage in Luke, it said, God said, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And then they were quiet about it until we see here in 2 Peter when he shares about it. But we see that the glory of Jesus was seen in the flesh. He was made known by God verbally as well to say that this is Jesus. He's saying, we're not coming to you with these cleverly devised myths. Have you guys seen Mythbusters? Any of you seen Mythbusters? That is a fun show, isn't it? You have these geniuses who are mechanical engineering and science geniuses that put their smarts together to test and see if you can break out of jail using floss, um, to test and see if you're able to live on an island using only duct tape. They just tried out all these crazy things. It was a lot of fun. But I made sure that I did not watch the episode on MacGyver because I wanted to believe that my childhood was real and that MacGyver could legitimately diffuse an atomic bomb with just a paper clip and a piece of gum. I want to continue to believe that, so I'm not going to watch that episode. 
But back in Greek culture, they had mythology. They had myths where they said, hey, there's rain, so there must be some god over the rain. Uh, They had myths uh, about gods who were over agriculture, over marriage, over the sky, just all sorts of different things. And they were very open with that these were myths. Because no one was saying, yes, I walked and talked with this god. It was all guesswork. They said, let's just do these worshipful things to hopefully appease this god so that they lean my way and... We hope that that's what's going to happen. And here Peter is saying something very controversial, saying, I'm not coming with these uh, fables, with fiction. I'm not coming with guesswork of, well, this might be the case. He's saying, I was there. I saw Jesus. Not just as everyone else saw Jesus, because everyone else saw him. They saw the miracles that he did. They They heard the teachings. They saw the compassion. They knew there was something special about Jesus. But in Isaiah 53, 2, he says that Jesus had no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. So in his initial state, people would look at Jesus and say, eh, I don't know, he's not that great looking. I don't know why we should be attracted to him. The only reason was because of the miracles and teachings But Peter and James and John were the only ones to see Jesus out of this no-beauty state. They saw him in his beauty, in his glory. It was revealed to them. And not only was it revealed to them that they could see it with their eyes, but they knew what they were seeing because it was confirmed by God. This everything that we have for life and godliness in his word, in the gospel, it was confirmed on that Mount of Transfiguration because God came to them in the cloud. It wasn't just, they weren't just hearing voices and who knows who it was. God came to them in the cloud. And yes, there is a the cloud in scripture. Exodus 13, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud. Exodus 34, when he was with Moses, God was with Moses, says descending in the cloud, he stood with him there. In Numbers chapter 10, the cloud of the Lord was over them. In 1 Kings 8, a cloud filling the house of the Lord. In Isaiah 19, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud going into Egypt. In Mark chapter 13, Jesus says that the Son of Man is going to be coming in clouds. In Acts 1-9, when Jesus is ascended up into heaven, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So when this cloud comes with Peter, James, and John, they know, what he's, they know who this is. The magnificent glory. The magnificent glory coming and saying, reinforcing to them, saying, this is Jesus. He said it once before, when Jesus was being baptized, remember in Matthew? Jesus was being baptized and God said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. He says it again as they are able to now see him in this glory that this is my son. That's when God gave Jesus honor and glory. That's when he was made known that the power and coming of Christ was on that mount. They could see it. They heard it. This is not some myth. This is not some guesswork. It was confirmed by God. 
this death, burial, and resurrection that Peter, James, and John were going to be promoting. We're going to be sharing with people. Lots of people were doubting it. Said, that can't be true. Now, back then, they could have just said, look, go into that tomb over there. See that it's empty. And they could have walked right in and said, okay, yeah, he's not there. And so that could have been squashed right then and there. If this was just a cleverly devised myth that Jesus has been raised from the dead, they could have said, go look, he's not there. And if they walked in and said, hey, look, there he is, it's done. It's over, right? But Jesus was not there because he was raised from the dead. And so we know that it is true. So anyone could have gone and checked the tomb. Jesus appeared to over 500 people after being raised from the dead. And Peter is pointing to this confirmation of God that this, what, this is story that I'm telling you of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, it is true because I saw Jesus. I saw him in his glory. God said, this is him. And that shows me everything I need to know that if anybody could raise from the dead, it would be him. He's not making it up. And as he now transitions from his experience of being on that Mount of Transfiguration, remember God said, this is my son. He says, listen to him. And Peter leaves that out of this um, account as he uh, reminds them of what he heard and what he saw. And he says, this is my beloved son there in verse 17, with whom I am well pleased. But he leaves out the part of listen to him. I believe that he left out that part because Peter's now making a transition from listen to the uh, Jesus in the flesh. The authority that he has is now transferring over to this. It's now transferring, forming over, transferring over, excuse me, over to the authority of God's word. Because he goes on to say in verse 19, it says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. It's amazing. More fully confirmed. He said, I was there. <laughs> I saw Jesus in his glory. God came in the cloud and said, this is him. But if you don't believe me and my experience of what happened to me, that's okay because we have a word that is more fully confirmed. Believe this. It's been tested It is true. The Old Testament prophecies that have been talking about Jesus' gospel here, has been writing about it all the time. It is more fully confirmed. We see Jesus, the glory of Jesus in his word. Even as Peter is writing about the Old Testament scriptures that he had, this passage is also referring to the New Testament scriptures that we have as well. We see first the glory of Jesus and how he changes hearts. Let's look back again in the second part of verse 19. In verse 19, he says, you will do well to pay attention. Right? As God said, listen to him. God audibly told him that. Peter is saying now, listen to the word. Pay attention to the word. It's the same authority because it is spoken by God. Listen to it. And so he says that this word is a lamp that is shining in a dark place. When we think of dark places, what do you think of? Spiritually. Generally, we think of even physical locations, don't we? Like we think if we can just get the Bible back into the courtrooms. If we can just get the Bible back into the schools. 
If we can just get the Bible back into the businesses, if we can just get the Bible back into these places, physical places, then everything will be fine. Now, do we want Bibles in those areas? Absolutely. Absolutely. But more than just having the Bibles back in schools, more so we want students who have darkened hearts to have the light of God's word shine there, don't we? Just having a physical Bible in a physical location, right? That, that's good, but we want the light of the word to shine in people's hearts. That's why we put them in those locations. That's why I love the work of the Gideons who just seek to provide access to the Bible in so many different places. We have so many life books that we have given away to hundreds of teenagers over the years that we just can give out and but we want even more so not just that the word is in their hands but we want the light of the truth of the gospel to shine into their darkened hearts we want people's hearts to change and that's what he says here until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts so as we think about darkness As we think about maybe dark places that we want the word to go out into, we also need to realize and maybe come to grips with the fact that we have darkness in our own hearts. Do you realize that? Even though you, as a born-again believer, even though those of you who have put their trust and faith in Christ, have said, you know what, you are made new, you are a new creation, do you realize that you still have some sinful areas in your life? Do you know that? I sure hope so. I sure hope that you know that you don't live a totally sinless and perfect life, right? And so those areas of sin that are in your life, the word of God is meant to shine in that darkness as well. In that dark area where you're saying, I want to hold on to my own pride. I want to hold on to this selfishness where life and everything has to be about me and what I want and what I can, how I can get what I want. Psalm 119, 105, we sang this earlier. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We sing this already. Do you think this passage was written by somebody who already knew God? <laughs> who already knew the power of his word? Absolutely. Psalm 119, just about all the verses in Psalm 119, there's a lot of them. Talk about the wonderfulness of God's word, how to treasure God's word, what God's word can do in your life. And so for somebody who knows Christ, and some of you who are sitting here today, we need to first think, how does the word of God, this light, this lamp, how can it shine in the darkness of my heart? We have to look there first. Because we can't fix other people. Have you realized that yet? You can't fix others. You can't change them. But the word of God, you can change you through the power of his word, through the power of Christ. We love this passage. The word of God is living and active. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. And we are going to give an account to who? The majestic glory. That's who we give an account to. That raises the bar a little bit more, doesn't it? When you realize that you, as an individual, are going to be standing before the majestic glory and are going to have to give an account for your life. And God has given you his word, everything you need for life and godliness, so that you can live a life pleasing to him, so that you can see the glory of Jesus. Just think what would happen in our lives, in our church, 
in our community if we, each individual, each one of us, are always allowing ourselves to be changed by the word. That we're always allowing the word to penetrate our hearts, to continue to change us to become more like Christ. That if we took the morning's message, that we took, take this gospel and go and live it out and share the gospel and give it to those friends that have totally darkened hearts. That there is no light in there at all. That we bring this light to them and we see people saved and baptized and growing. What a tremendous impact we could have in our community if we individually have that desire. And it has to start with us. Sure, we can think of, we need this program or that program, or we could do this ministry or that. But if we don't have individuals who are committed to this gospel, those ministries will fail, right? If we have nobody attending them, if we have nobody participating with them, we as individuals, because that's what we can do here, is allow this word to shine in our hearts so that we want to promote and share this wonderful gospel. And that's what Peter's all about. That's why he's sharing about his experience. I was there. I saw. We have this word that's more fully confirmed. And he's saying all this so that he says, believe me when I say that Jesus has died on the cross and risen from the dead. He says, believe me. It's confirmed here in scripture. Your heart can be changed because of Christ. There are many out there who have a copy of the word of God. They read it. They study it. But they're still in darkness. That's why Peter refers to this morning star rising in their hearts. Jesus is referred to as a star back in Numbers chapter 24 when it says that a star shall rise, shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Speaking of that coming in purpose of Jesus Christ, and we all remember at Christmas, right, when there's this star that's shining in the darkness, What a beautiful picture of a star shining in the darkness to point people to who? To Jesus, who is the star that is going to shine in the darkness of people's hearts. What a beautiful picture. Not only is he the star, but he also comes with a scepter that Jesus is going to rule and reign. And that's why Peter, James, and John were kind of confused. When they saw Jesus, wow, shining like a star, they said, he, this is it. He's going to reign right here on earth. Not realizing that Jesus was actually going to go on the, die on the cross in order to reign in our hearts. We see this beautiful, wonderful picture of this morning star that rises in our hearts. So we need the word to point us to Christ. We need this word that's more fully confirmed to shine a light in our hearts so that we can see the glory of Jesus. In the very end of scripture, in Revelation 22, we see Jesus refers to himself as the bright morning star. It all points back to him. It's all directed towards Jesus. What was your week like this last week? Did you have any dark moments this last week? Any times where you gave in to your own sinful tendencies? Maybe there were outside darkness happening. Maybe it wasn't you, but just sin was around you and darkness was there and you were struggling with it. Maybe you just your entire week was rough and it was really dark. Do you believe that Jesus can shine into even that even into your dark week that you had, or maybe one's coming up that you don't even know about? 
Do you think Jesus can shine into that? Absolutely. Do you think God's word is meant to shine a light in your everyday circumstances? Yes, absolutely. Think about the darkest of spots in this as this beam of flashlight, uh, this beam of light that's pointing into the darkness, but it's not just pointing there into your darkness just so that you can make it through. The word of God is not there just so that you can get out of the darkness and move on to something else. But it's to shine in your darkness and point you to the glory of Jesus Christ. It's to point you back to the bright and morning star, the one that you can have your attention fixed on. Think about this. If you are living a selfish life, if life is just, it's all about you, do you think that you are going to continue in that if you are overwhelmed with the glory of Jesus? If your mind and heart is focused on how great and awesome Jesus is, are you going to be, have hatred and anger in your heart towards others? Are you going to be bitter and jealous if your attention is focused on the glory of Jesus Christ? If you're focused on remembering that he has died on the cross, risen from the dead, not just to save you from eternity in the future, but even here and now in the darkness of your own life, your own heart, to save you from that? Of course not. If you're turning, not if you're turning your attention to Christ, the coming of Jesus, on the honor and glory of Jesus, there's a reason why so many of the answers to our problems, it's just really one answer. <laughs> Turn to Jesus. And sometimes we say that flippantly, right? Because that's the answer that we use all the time. We say, turn to Jesus, turn to Jesus, turn to Jesus. So we say it so often that it maybe for us sometimes loses its power. They say, oh yeah, I know, turn to Jesus, I got it. I know what you're going to say, just read the Bible, okay, whatever. And we blow it off. And the reason we blow it off because that's the answer that we use all the time. Read your Bible and turn to Jesus. But there's a reason why we use that all the time, because that's where the answer lies. Turn your attention and your gaze and focus on the glory of Christ, and you won't be so overcome with bitterness and jealousy, because you'll realize how much Jesus loves you. Turn your attention to God's word that has all the answers that we need for life and godliness. God's word has the answers. That's why we keep pointing back to Jesus. So don't let that answer, and don't, uh, when it comes to you, don't just blow it off. The answer is turn to Jesus for a reason. Because he's the radiance of the glory of God. We read the first two verses earlier. That God is speaking through Jesus. He is the exact imprint of his nature, of the majestic glory's nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This verse says it all. That's why we turn to Jesus. Because he is God, he paid for our sins, and he sat down at the right hand of God. He says, it is finished, it is done, I am the final answer, turn to Jesus. If you're struggling today, turn to Jesus. Look upon his glory. See how wonderful he is and that he loves you and that he died for you. Look to Jesus. And we can do this. We can find it in his word. 
because it's confirmed by the Spirit. There's a reason why also that we give Bibles to everyone in our children's ministry. Everyone who comes to youth group who doesn't have their own Bible, we give them one. It's a reason why we give seniors Bibles as they graduate. And if you don't have a Bible, a Bible, a copy of one, we would love to give one to you as well. Because the majestic glory has spoken. It's right here. And we want you to know what he has to say. It's written down for you and for me. And we have really more access to the words of the majestic glory than anyone in all of history. You can just bring up your phone and download any Bible app. They're, they're all over the place. There's so many of those. And so Peter is saying here, now that we have this prophecy of Scripture that is more fully confirmed, the reason why it's more fully confirmed because this wasn't anyone's idea. It wasn't just someone's own interpretation. It wasn't someone's own will, a human will that put this together. People didn't get, a, get together and say, hey, I got an idea for a good story. Let's share this. No, it's an account of things that actually happened. True historical accounts. You have 40 authors, over 1,500 years worth, put together and it all works together. Try to get just a couple people together in your own family to come up with the same story about what happened, right? It's hard to do. So we have God's word here. It says it was spoken by God, verse 21, carried as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Heard a good illustration that helps us understand this a little bit. And it said that to picture a sailboat and how the wind carries along a sailboat. And that's the picture that we have here of men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So they didn't use their own words per se, but it was God's word that they were speaking. Now, each individual sailboat would be different. I'm talking like I'm a sailor or something. I've never sailed ever in my life. But I'm going to pretend and talk like I am because I read, a, read some things about it. So just bear with me. So each sailboat would be different, right? The bigger the sail, the more wind it catches, uh, the, the different types of boats that can go back and forth. See, I'm using technical language, so try to bear with me as I talk about this technical terms of sailing here. Um, so as they go back and forth, left and right, um, they're individuals who drive them. And so we have the same thing with God's word that you have individual writers that share about their own experiences, right? Peter, right here, he's sharing an experience that he had that very few people had. So he's writing about that. He's writing in his own style. We see that very clearly. The Psalms are written way different than we have this passage that is written. And so as individuals still were able to write their words in their own style of writing, God was carrying them along to make sure that everything, and to show that everything that was written was written exactly how he wanted it to be written. Exactly what he wanted to communicate to us. Now there were times in the Old Testament where God audibly said, Hey prophet, write this down. And then they would take out their little pen and they would start writing it down. But there were also times when I imagine David, when he was confessing his sin with Bathsheba in Psalm 51, that he wasn't thinking, hey, this is probably God who's speaking to me through this. As he was confessing his sin, he was just writing down this confession, just saying, Lord, created me a clean heart, forgive me. And God was carrying him along to say, this is what you're going to write, and this is going to be true, and this is going to be my word for generations to come. So as we recap Peter's life, 
He was just a normal guy. Run of the mill, nothing special about him. Jesus called him, said, follow me. And then as Peter followed him, he went through a lot of ups and downs, able to walk on water for a little bit. He was on this mount, and he, then he saw Jesus in his glory. Just amazing, dazzling white. Moses and Elijah there. God speaking to him. And then as he comes off that mountain, sees Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Then he starts sharing this with people. Then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon him on that day of Pentecost and gives them the supernatural power to be able to communicate with people of other languages. And they were looking at him saying, how in the world is this nobody able to speak my language? There must be something to this story that they're telling about Jesus. This must be from God because they have this miraculous ability for me to understand them. And they shared the gospel. And he goes out and shares the gospel with person after person after person. And now in his dying days, he's recounting and telling them, hey, I was there. I saw it. I heard from God. I saw Jesus in his glory. I saw him ascend up to heaven. And he says, and you have something right here that's better. That is more sure than even my experience of what happened to me. Even that's more sure, but because it's in the word, you know it happened. (laughs) You know it's true. So that's why we go back to the word of God. We have this scripture that's supposed to shine a light in our darkened hearts and you can trust it. So my question for you, believer in Christ, those of you who have already placed your faith in him. What areas of darkness are in your heart. Take a moment to think and say, okay, where do I need to grow? It might seem small. It might have something big that's in your life. I don't know what that is for you. But I want you to take time and say, okay, what does God's word say about it? What does the word speak to to shine a light in my life so that I can see the areas that I need to change? I also want to ask this. This might be a Somewhat controversial question. Have you seen the glory of Jesus in your life? Have you seen it? I'm not asking if you've seen a vision of Jesus or anything like that, because Jesus is currently sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm asking you if you have seen the glory of Christ in your life. I sure have. Because I look back on to when I was a young child, didn't know Christ, dead in my sins, and then he saved me. The glory of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? I don't have a miraculous, amazing, like, saved out of drugs or whatever, just crazy sins that I might have been involved in and God saving me out of that. I don't have this, that crazy story, but I have a miraculous story in my life because I was dead and Jesus made me alive. And that's wonderful. That's the glory of Jesus. I can also see Jesus as I was a, just a little brat of a kid and also was one of these kids that was just a people pleaser. It was all about me and my life and how God has brought me from there to where I am now. I can see a difference. I said, that's the glory of Jesus Christ in my life. Praise the Lord. Amen. Through the power of his word. That's what changed me. And I pray that in the next five, ten years, I look, look back at where I am now and say, Man, the glory of Jesus Christ is awesome. He has grown me from there to where I am here. You can see the glory of Christ in your life through his word as he grows you and changes you. And so I ask again, believer, have you seen the glory of Christ in your life? You might be thinking, 
no. You might say, I, I really haven't seen a lot. I haven't really seen God work. Pray that you take a look in his word, turn to Jesus and see what God has in his word to point you to Christ. Because maybe you just haven't been paying attention to Christ very often or very much that you've seen him work. And those of you who might be here this morning or might even be listening online, they say, I don't think I've ever seen it. I haven't even seen it in my own life and being saved from my sins. I don't get it. I still don't understand this whole glory of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, it says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So I would ask, what is stopping you? If you are saying, I want to see the glory of Christ. I want to know it. I want to understand it. I pray that you will take Jesus' words, because you might be at this place where you don't see this light. But you take Jesus' words when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light. Turn to him. And you can do that this morning, wherever you're sitting. You can do that and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I'm turning my life to you, the one who is the light. May I see your glory and see you and change me into a new creation. And if you're wanting more information, you want to know, like, I still don't get it. I still don't understand. Please come talk with me afterwards. Let me know. I would love to show you this wonderful glory of Jesus Christ in his word, through the power of his word, Jesus does the changing. The glory of Jesus can transform your heart through his word. And as we're going to sing here in a little bit after we pray, we're going to sing Majesty. It's an old song that we haven't sung in a while. But I pray that you sing it just imagining and picturing. If you know it well, just even close your eyes and just think of the majesty and glory that is due Christ, that he is. He is a wonderful, loving God. And I pray that you see that this morning through his word. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you, the majestic glory, we come to you just humbly thanking you for showing us in your word, for giving us these scriptures that you have spoken to us, carrying men to write these down by the Holy Spirit so that we might see Jesus. Lord, help us to see him in our everyday life as you show us in your word. As we read your word every day, help us to see the glory of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name.